Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. The word disciple is a word that we don't use very much nowadays. We use the word Christian, but in Bible times the word disciple was used extensively. And I'm going to just introduce today's talk by showing you the three times in the Bible where the word Christian is used and just show you a little bit of a difference and, and a contrast between disciple and Christian. So in Acts 11 verse 26, it says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Up until then they were disciples, 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 and after then they were still called disciples within a church context, and I said last week that they used the word brethren or brothers and sisters as well, but Christians as a title was used by Roman people. Most experts believe that the Roman governors and authorities used a term of derision a label that they put on them, which means little Christs or people of Christ. They were first called Christians in Antioch. And then again we see in Acts 26, verse 28, it says, then Agrippa said to Paul, so this was a governor, a leader, Agrippa, he was not a believer, and he said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And again, he was using the word Christian as in what the world called the believers. You know, most moves of God have been labeled by the outsiders, and then eventually that move of God says, you know what, that label's not so bad, we'll take it for ourselves. So the Methodists were called Methodists as a, as a term of mocking, really. The Quakers were called that term by people who didn't know what was going on. But eventually they took that term on for themselves and the Christians are the same. And the third place that the word Christian appears in the Bible is 1 Peter 4, verse 16. It says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And what that verse is saying is if you suffer because the outsiders are calling you a Christian, in other words, they're saying, oh, you're one of that sect. You're one of that little weird group. If you suffer for being a, a believer because others are persecuting you, outsiders, then he says, don't be ashamed, Glory, glorify God in this matter. So is the word Christian bad? No, it's not. At about 100, 110 AD, we see letters written by church leaders, and they start using the word Christian to speak of themselves. And it's not a bad term. I don't mind being called a follower of Christ. That's a good term. But in 313 AD, the Roman emperor, Constantine, converted to Christianity. Nobody really knows if he became a real believer, but he took the title of being a Christian and he issued the Edict of Milan, which made it legal for people to be Christians. And in fact, it became preferred to be a Christian because you got benefits from the government. You got government jobs and contracts and, and it became acceptable in society to be a Christian and suddenly the word Christian and disciple did not mean the same thing anymore. 
So in Acts 11, we read that the disciples were first called Christians. So at that stage, disciple and Christian were the same thing. They were just different names. But from 313 AD onwards, many people took the name or the, the title Christian, but they were not disciples. And the sad, tragic fact, which has replayed itself over and over again through history, is that again and again, true believers have to remove themselves from what is culturally understood as being Christian and say, no, we're different. And so they call themselves a different name. We are the whatevers, the Baptists, the Mennonites, the Protestants, the Quakers. And we keep pulling ourselves away and giving ourselves a different name to say, just because everyone calls themselves a Christian in society, yes, everyone thinks they're a Christian. I was listening to a man recently and he was saying in Egypt, if you are not a Muslim, then you are automatically considered a Christian. And so he's met many people and they say, I am a Christian and what they're really saying is I'm not a Muslim, but they've never had a real interaction with Christ. And so this word disciple for me is so helpful because this if we look at what a disciple really is, we get a better understanding of what a Christian really is. I'm not against the term Christian, but I want us not to think in cultural terms and think just because someone says it's, it's a Christian event or I'm a Christian person or this is a Christian school or a Christian nation, that does not mean they are true followers of Christ. And it's important for us to find out the difference. Amen? There's another verse I want to show you in John chapter 8, verse 31. It's going to go up on your screen. I'm going to read the verses before and after it just to give you context. Jesus, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. So Jesus is speaking and many people are believing what he's saying. You see, believer is another term we like to use. We like to say, I'm a believer. I believe. Therefore, I am saved. I'm a I'm a disciple, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. But listen to what he said. Then Jesus said to those who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. In other words, believing and disciples aren't necessarily the same thing either. Why? Because many of us know you can believe something to a small degree, to a medium degree, or completely and just because you call yourself a believer doesn't mean you have fully believed and you are a disciple. Isn't that true? You're not so sure. Let me read on. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So he's speaking to people who say, I believe in you, Jesus. But he knows that some of them just kind of believe. They just, there's a mental agreement, but they haven't let it change their lives. And so he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He's trying to push them to say, are you really a disciple? Not just someone who says, yes, I'm a Christian. And then he says, and you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And they answered and said, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? They were saying we are cultural believers. We are Abraham's descendants. Yes, we believe because we're Jewish people. Of course we're going to heaven. 
I went to church and confirmation and, and I went to a Christian school and I, I don't know, there's so many things we think make us a Christian. Getting baptized as a baby is a big one. Many people think if I was baptized as a baby, of course I'm a Christian. But Jesus presses them. He says, no, you've got to be my disciple. They say, what do you mean? We, we're Abraham's children. And Jesus goes on to say, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And he was saying here and again and again in the Gospels, he was saying there's got to be a change. We've got to be different to everyone else who says they believe and everyone else who says they're a Christian. Amen? Now, let's read this lovely story. Mark chapter six, verse 31. Why am I telling you this story? Because we're gonna press into this thing of just being a, a follower of Jesus in general or being really involved in what Jesus is doing or re really being a disciple. We're gonna press into this through the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I believe you're gonna find it extremely helpful. You know, there's a difference between being a participant, being involved, and being committed. And that's what we're gonna see today. Let me give you a little example to, before I read the story. Imagine the farmer is gonna have a lovely breakfast of bacon and egg and toast. And he goes out to his farmyard and he sees his little chicken. He says, I'm gonna need an egg from you. He speaks to the wheat plants and he says, I'm gonna need some seeds from you wheat plants to make my toast. And he speaks to the pig and he says, I'm gonna need some bacon. And the wheat says, I am involved. My little wheat seeds are gonna make his toast. I'm involved. But the reality is, the wheat seed hardly even notices when its seeds are gone, the wheat plant. The chicken says, I am really involved. I'm not just part participant, I'm involved because I really have to squeeze to make an egg. And the pig says, you guys are involved, but I'm committed to make the bacon, I no longer exist. Amen? So let's read the story. Mark chapter six, verse 31. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. Now that's significant. I'd like you to underline that little line in your brain that says they didn't have time to eat. These are the disciples. They've given up fishing. They had their own fishing business and Jesus said, come follow me and you'll be fishers of men. So they used to get their income and their food from their business and he said, now work for me. But they're so busy that they don't even have time to eat. They're, not, they're hungry. They, they're not fulfilling their basic needs just because they're so busy doing Jesus' work with him. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. So Jesus and his 12 disciples, they're exhausted. They need some time out. They get into a boat and they go off to another place thinking they're going to be all alone. But they had a, a shock coming. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. 
And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. They arrived there on the, on the shore of their retreat. They get out, yay, we're gonna have some holiday time. We can chill out, relax, talk to Jesus, maybe play some games, volleyball. I don't know what they used to do. And suddenly the crowds, just as many crowds as they'd left, are there waiting for them in their special holiday place. Uh Uh-oh. What does Jesus do? Does he get angry? Jesus has compassion. He loves them. He says they're like sheep without a shepherd. He teaches them for a whole day. And in Matthew, it tells us he healed all their sick as well. So Jesus just pours out love. Now the disciples were hungry before they left. Now a whole day has passed in the hot sun with a crowd of people. Jesus teaching, I'm sure they are very hungry. Amen? And tired. When the day was now far spent, it's getting evening time, the sun's going down. The disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. Already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. And their stomachs are grumbling at the same time. They have nothing to eat, send them away, but actually they're like, I am hungry, Jesus. But also they're hungry. It's been a whole day. They've had nothing to eat. They need to go and find some food. Later on it tells us there were 5,000 males, which means there were at least 5,000 women and 5,000 children. At least 15,000 people. There may be more, probably 20, maybe 30,000 people. That's a, a large crowd. Can you imagine? Imagine the scene. We're tired. We thought we were gonna have a holiday. The holiday didn't come, we're hungry, the crowds are there, they've been healed, they've been taught, they've been blessed. Wow, what a wonderful day, but they're hungry. Jesus, send them away. We've got to get them some food. They've got to go and buy food. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. What? It's like the farmer saying to the chicken and the pig, I need you. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? It it doesn't say they didn't have 200 denarii. They had it probably. 200 denarii is a lot of money, by the way. It's 15,000 pounds, maybe, roughly, to feed that many people. I mean, it's a big expense. They had it, but they, they said, should we spend this on this? Is it right? Is it the right thing to do? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Five barley loaves, John 6 tells us, they were not very expensive loaves, just little loaves of barley bread, and two fish, two small fish. And John tells us it was a little boy who gave them that food. So Philip and Andrew went out and they found this little boy and this little boy came forward and volunteered. Don't you just love the, the attitude of a little child? There's 20,000 people there. There's no way that five little buns and two little fish are gonna feed that many people. But he says, here we go. You can use this. Isn't that beautiful? 
And that is the start of us seeing something amazing between being a participant, being involved, and being committed. We see something happen, but it, it needed, you know, Jesus can multiply to an infinite size, but he needs something to start with. Many of us are sitting there saying, Lord, provide. Provide, I know you can multiply, Lord. You can multiply my finance. And he says, that's true, I can, but what are you gonna give me so that I can multiply it? There's gotta be something to multiply because 100 times zero is zero. So the little boy gave them. I just, I, I wanna hug this little boy when I get to heaven. He's probably a grown up man by then, but I, I wanna just say thank you because he's, his heart is so beautiful. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So now suddenly the mood changes. They go to Jesus with these five loaves and two fish. I think they were maybe expecting him to say, well, that's ridiculous. No, send them away to get food. But he doesn't. He says, okay. And he starts putting into place a plan. He says, make them sit down. It says it was a large grassy area and he made them sit down in little groups of 50 and 100. The numbers I think are significant. I'll go into that in a bit. He commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He blessed and broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. Isn't that an amazing verse? Verse 42, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. The most astounding miracle is, is encapsulated in seven words. So they all ate and were filled. It wasn't just a measly little meal, there was more than enough. Isn't that extraordinary? They all ate, including the little boy. I think he ate more than five loaves and two fish, that little boy. Including the 12 disciples who had been so hungry and so busy that they couldn't eat before. They had a marvelous meal. Can you imagine the joy of that meal? Jesus is the master of the feast. The disciples are the, the waiters taking the food around and the food is miracle food. Imagine eating that food and thinking this did not exist 10 minutes ago and it's just been created miraculously by Jesus. Wow. You can understand why in John chapter six after this event, Jesus travels to another place, Capernaum, and the crowds are following him asking for more bread. You've, if you've had miracle bread, you want some more. And in that story, Jesus says to them, it's not physical bread you need, it's spiritual bread. I am the bread of heaven. And they start to get a little bit weird. They just want physical bread. You see, they're involved but they're not committed. And so he starts saying some weird things like, I am the bread of heaven. My flesh is gonna be broken. You have to eat and drink my flesh and my blood. And they think, whoa, this is weird. Then he says, the words that I speak to you are actually what you need. They're spirit and they're life. That's what the bread of life is all about. And they all leave him, the crowd. And eventually there's just the 12 disciples again. 
It's such an amazing story. It starts with the 12 going away to be alone. The crowds won't let them alone. The crowds get fed and taught and healed and blessed. The crowds follow and eventually Jesus says, you've got to have the real life, not just physical bread. The crowds leave and it's just Jesus and the 12 again. And they got some rest. And Jesus says to them, do you also want to leave me? He's happy. He, he's not pushing for people to come to him at any cost. He says, no, no, you can choose. Do you want to stay or go? And they say, Lord, we want to stay with you. You have the words of eternal life. So going back to verse 42, they all ate and were filled. They took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Now that word baskets is an interesting word, kofinos in the Greek. Um, I looked it up because when Jesus feeds the 5,000, it's a word kofinos, which talks about a particular type of basket. When Jesus feeds the 4,000, a couple of chapters later, it's a whole different word for basket. It's a different kind of basket. But there were 12 baskets. These kofinos baskets were, they were like backpack baskets. They had a string and the, the Jewish people would put them over their back. They were about that big and they carried quite a bit of um, things. They would put all their clothes when they traveled and whatever. So there were 12 of them and I believe the reason there were 12 was because each disciple had taken a kofinos basket with him, taken it to Jesus. Jesus had put in the bread and the fish. They'd taken it to a group of 50 and they'd multiplied it. Now the Kofinos basket, about that big, doesn't hold enough to feed 50 or 100 people. So Jesus would have multiplied the bread and the fish to fill the basket, I believe. Then the disciples would have gone to their little first group of 50 and taken it out, and as they were taken, they would have seen it's multiplying. Oh wow, we can feed 100 people. Then they go back to Jesus, he fills it again, they go to the next group, and there's all these groups of 50 or 100, about 200 groups around on the grass, and in that way, they can feed all those people, 20,000 people in a short space of time before the sun goes down, because there was time pressure. If they'd all come in a long line, 20,000 people one by one, and Jesus had, you know like you see in, in some churches where the priest, the people stand there like this, and, no, that would have taken hours. So Jesus involved other people and he involved some form of organization and this is where it gets beautiful because you and I are either the crowd following, if you're here listening to my voice today, you're either one of the crowd following who watch what Jesus does or you're one of the disciples or the little boy who participate in what Jesus does or you're fully committed, which is actually what the little boy was. He just put everything in. And the beautiful thing is when we participate or when we're committed, we become part of the miracle. I can't tell you how blessed and grateful I am to be able to share God's word because I learn more when I share God's word than you do. When I pray for someone, I get blessed more than they do when they're healed. When I see God do a miracle, when I get an email from someone who says, we just happened to flip onto your TV show and God has done a miracle in our lives, I am so, I'm more blessed than they are because I feel like the disciples who are taking this basket of bread, 
And Jesus was the one who provided it. I didn't do anything, but I'm watching it multiply and I'm watching God do miracles in people's lives in front of my very eyes and I'm partaking in the miracle. And a disciple is somebody who's not just an onlooker at what Jesus does. They're either participating, they're either really involved in in serving or they're the one who gives everything to the work. I want to just close with a little scripture and a little illustration from um, Matthew. Chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let me read it again slowly. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. He's saying, I'm picking out those of you who feel tired, labor and heavy laden. It's almost like those disciples. Do you remember at the beginning of our story of the feeding of the 5,000? They were exhausted, they were heavy laden, and they were hungry. They hadn't had time to eat. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying that to you and to me. Just like the farmer goes out to get his breakfast, he's saying, I need breakfast, but actually, if it was Jesus saying it, he would say, you are gonna be blessed. You are the one who is gonna receive the rest. Then Jesus goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we suddenly see this real contrast and and contradiction where he says, you're tired, you're heavy laden, you need rest, take a yoke upon you. What? You're tired, you're heavy laden, take a yoke upon you. That does not make sense. You're tired, surely you need a yoke taken off you. Jesus says, take my yoke, upon you, take off the yoke of the other things you've been doing with your life, the yoke of fear, the yoke of trying to be rich for riches sake, the yoke of trying to please other people, all these different yokes and weights that make us tired and heavy laden. He says, take that off, put my yoke upon you, and a yoke means Jesus is an oxen, and it's not disrespectful to say Jesus is an oxen because he said, Take my yoke. He says, I've got a yoke on me. In other words, I'm an oxen and I'm pulling a load and there's a yoke, a wooden beam across my shoulders and it makes me able to pull the the load. You come and pull the load with me. So we've got this picture of Jesus and he's going somewhere. You know, when an oxen pulls a a cart or a a plow, there's a, a path, a furrow that they have to plow and The oxen, Jesus is plowing in a direction and he knows where he's going and he's got something in his mind. He says, this is what I want to achieve. Now you, my dear Christian, he says, don't just be a believer, don't just be what the world says is a Christian, be a disciple, which means take my yoke, come and share with me in my task. In John 15, Jesus says, I don't call you servants, I call you friends because I'm telling you what the master's business is. You're part of what I'm doing. I'm sharing my mission with you and we're gonna do it together 
And he says, take my yoke, come and be part of what I'm doing. Let's pull together. So imagine the scene, there's some oxen pulling, there's a cart being pulled, and then there's some people walking along, watching. In the church today, Jesus doesn't condemn, he doesn't blame, and he doesn't force, he allows crowds to walk along watching him pulling his load. But those who are watching, they may come to church every week, they may see what Jesus is doing, they may be like the crowd who received the food and the healing and the teaching, they might say, yes, I'm involved in what Jesus is doing, but he says, no, no, you're not. You need to come and get involved. So some people say, okay, I'm not gonna be part of the crowd. I'm gonna jump onto the cart and wherever Jesus leads, I will follow. Jesus, I'm yours. Lead on, Lord. Pull me along, Lord. Your will be done, Lord. I won't decide my own path anymore. It's your path, Jesus. And he says, yes, you're involved. You like the chicken, but come on. Get committed, come and take my yoke upon you. Get involved in the pulling. Get involved in the work. And the way you can tell, one of the ways you can tell where you are in that picture and in the picture of the feeding of the 5,000 is do you consider yourself to be a consumer or do you consider yourself to be part of what's happening? You see, a consumer comes along just like we go to a shop or a show and we pay our money and we watch and we are entertained or we are blessed and then we leave. But we are a, a, a customer, we pay for what we get. That's what a consumer does. But a person who's part of the production says, I'm not paying for this, this is my whole life. I'm part of the team. I'm putting this thing on. When somebody says to me something about our church, I can tell where they are in this picture by whether they say your church or our church. I can also tell by people speaking about the church in, in certain terms. They say the church should or they say we should because we are the church. When you say the church should or your church, what you're saying is the church is an organization and I am the customer who pays that organization. But when you say we should or our church, what you're saying is I am the organization. Have you ever heard this phrase? I'm stuck in traffic. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that phrase? I'm stuck in traffic. When somebody texts me, I'm stuck in traffic, which they often do. I often get that text when I'm having a meeting with someone and they're late. They say, I'm stuck in traffic. I always want to, but I never do. But one day I will. I always want to text back and say, you are the traffic. You're not stuck in it, you're part of it. The person next to you is texting their meeting and they're saying, I'm stuck in traffic and they're looking at you. And when we say, we are the church, rather than the church should, or, or I'm checking out the churches or whatever. No, this is me, I'm, I'm committed, I'm full in, I'm a disciple. That's when the miracle blessing happens. That's when we partake of what God is doing. That's when we see God multiplying breads and fishes in front of our very eyes. And the blessing is immeasurable, amen? The little boy who gave 
I believe is the hero of the story. He's the pig in this little illustration because he gave everything he had. And one of the ways we can tell is our giving. You know, if you give just out of obligation or a little bit, you can tell where your heart is and where your priorities lie by how much you contribute. And I'm so grateful to our church. You guys are amazing. There are people who are not earning much who give more than, more than 10% of their income. And I'm just so grateful to you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.